A quiz competition that reverses the traditional question and answer format of many quiz shows. What is Jeopardy? Get ready to test your knowledge, meeting makers. This episode, we're covering verbal tools that anyone in a meeting can use to improve communication, encourage diverse voices, and enhance the meeting experience. We'll discuss different kinds of questions and when to use them, and give you three questions for common meeting scenarios. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. Welcome back, meeting makers. It's time for the episode you've been waiting for, and you didn't even know it. The one where we unpack our not-so-secret facilitator's toolkit of verbal skills you can use to help unsuck your meetings, even if you're not the one leading the meeting. If you've been following so far this season, you'll remember Taylor, the project manager who has been struggling to find her voice in the meeting she's in, and as a result, she is stressed out and ready to quit. To the Taylors of the world, this one goes out to you. To mix it up a bit this episode, we're going to dive into these skills Jeopardy style. We will describe the behavior and you'll guess the name of the skill. Obviously, we can't actually hear you, so you'll have to keep track of the answers yourself. But let us know how you do in our Meeting Makers Facebook community. Are you ready? Let's begin. This behavior looks like repeating or summarizing what you heard someone say. If our friend Taylor applied this skill, she might say, It sounds like you're looking for ways to relieve project delays by moving some work around. Do I have that right? Can you guess what this skill is called? If you guessed what is paraphrasing or what is mirroring, Either of those is correct. The difference is that paraphrasing is summarizing in your own words, whereas mirroring is the other person's words mirrored back to them. The value is to show that you've been listening and to give the other person a chance to clarify their thoughts. If you got that one right, give yourself a point. On to the next one. This behavior looks like asking for information because what they may have said sounded vague or confusing to you. If our friend Taylor applied this skill, she might say, what did you mean when you said you wanted to move that task? Or can you say more about that? This is a tough one. Any guesses? Sam Kaner, author of A Facilitator's Guide to Participatory Decision-Making, calls this drawing people out. I can't imagine that you guessed that, but if you did, good for you. Imagine that you're pulling a thread to get more information. That's what drawing people out is. And the value is to clarify and refine what the other person said in order to make sure that you have their full meaning. After all, we can't take action or move forward without a complete picture. Let's try another one. This one should be easier. This behavior looks like getting all ideas out on the table. If our friend Taylor wanted to use the skill with her team, she might say, What if we spend a few minutes generating as many ideas as we can, and maybe we can find a solution we haven't thought of yet? Lock in your guess in three, two, 
One, if you said, what is brainstorming? You're right. Anyone can initiate a brainstorm. If you're a participant, you might ask permission from the group or from your meeting leader to make sure it's the right move. But if you're seeing the need to gather ideas before making a decision, you can make this offer. Alex Osborne is considered the father of brainstorming, and he has four rules for successful brainstorming that we recommend including before you get started. Tee this up by saying, I have some suggested ground rules for brainstorming. They are to generate as many ideas as we can, build on each other's ideas, reserve judgment, and don't be afraid of a wild and crazy idea. Give yourself a point, meeting makers. I hope everyone got that one. These last few might be a little tricky, but I believe in you. This next behavior promotes hearing from as many voices as possible. If our friend Taylor used this skill, she might say, I noticed we haven't heard from TJ yet. TJ, anything to add? And of course, if TJ says no, that's okay. At least we invited him to the table. Have your best guess? If you said, what is making space for people or something along those lines? Well done, you get a point. Anyone in a meeting can make observations about who has and has not spoken up yet. So if you're getting annoyed at dominating personalities, or worse, you're the dominator, see if you can chime in or close your point by inviting others to the table. The worst thing that can happen in a meeting is missing out on a critical idea because someone felt they didn't have room to speak. This next behavior involves making observations about the meeting process itself. If our friend Taylor applied this skill, it might sound like, I'm noticing there are a lot of opinions on this, and we haven't heard all of the ideas out there. This behavior is simply making observations that make the group more aware about what might be working or not working about the process of the meeting. This is a tough one, but if you guessed what is tracking, I am seriously amazed. Tracking is how you get out of rabbit holes or pull back when the meeting seems to be going nowhere fast and may need a redirect. And if you're real slick, follow your observation with a process suggestion if you think that that's appropriate. Here's an example. What if we tried going around and getting everyone's final thought and then take a vote? Making observations is best with language like I'm noticing or I'm perceiving, as those terms leave space for you to be wrong and it prevents people from feeling judged, hopefully. An observation like this is a gift. When a group becomes more aware of how they meet, they become smarter and able to meet better. So far, we've talked about paraphrasing, drawing people out, brainstorming, making space, and tracking. Have you noticed a common skill across all of these behaviors? Think about it. All of them either include or are followed by a question. Asking questions is a skill, and we like to think it's an art form. It's a muscle we often forget to flex in an education or work environment where answers are often more rewarded than questions. Kids have no problem asking questions, but adults, we unlearn this somewhere along the way. Asking questions promotes curiosity and understanding, and if we understand each other, we can make our meetings work. Hey, meeting makers. Did you know that we're on season three? That means there are two other seasons that you may have missed. 
In season one, we give you just-in-time meeting skills, a crash course in meeting prep that you can listen to in less than two hours to help you get ready to lead your next meeting. And in season two, Meet Smarter, Not Longer, we break down day-to-day meetings like weekly tag-ups, one-on-ones, and even ad hoc meetings to help you and your team improve their productivity starting as soon as you finish each episode. If you don't have time to listen to a full season, our season one and two playbooks are available for purchase at makemeetings.work forward slash downloads. And while you're there, you can grab some sweet merch at makemeetings.work forward slash merch. I love Warren Berger's book, A More Beautiful Question. There are some powerful examples of how asking a question a certain way promotes a line of thinking that leads to radical and positive change in businesses. But it's not just about asking questions. It's about asking questions with intention. That involves breaking questions down into different types for different reasons. So let's get back to our Jeopardy game. This first type of question usually starts with what or how and cannot be answered with a yes-no or either-or. Any guesses? If you said, what are open-ended questions, well done. If you listen to season one and two, you already know that we love a good open-ended question to help prompt outside-of-the-box thinking. Open-ended questions could be, what's on your mind? How might we tackle this? Or, what's your idea? Can you think of others? Now, stick with me here, because there are lots of different types of questions under the open-ended question umbrella. Don't worry about writing these down. We've got you covered. In the description, we're linking to our questions library, where you can grab examples of the four types we're about to break down. First, harvest questions. Harvest questions gather ideas, hence harvesting. These are the kinds of questions you want to use during brainstorming. A great example of a harvest question can be found when you go to create a post on Facebook. Do you ever notice what question is there? It's what's on your mind. Another example is where might we start? The word might is used with intention here. If we used where should we start or where could we start, that might prompt a closed line of thinking aligned with existing norms. But a might or a may encourages more ideas and creativity. Another one of our favorite harvest questions is what else? In brainstorming, ask what else until you get crickets. Next, clarifying questions. Clarifying questions ensure we have a clear understanding. And you've heard a few examples of these in this episode already. What did you mean by that? That was a drawing people out question, but it's also a clarifying question. Next, process questions. You could also think of these as exploratory questions. These are questions like, what might be behind that? Or, what's most important about that? These questions provoke a deeper level of thinking and introspection. Lastly, solution questions. These are usually the easiest ones because we all love answers. These are questions like, what's worked before? Or, how might you address this? Who knew there was so much behind asking good questions? The easiest way to figure out what type of question to use is to simply start paying attention. 
Don't ask a solution question in the middle of a brainstorming session. Don't ask a harvest question when the group is about to get to a solution. If you get stuck and you're not sure, just go in order, harvest ideas, clarify responses, explore and process further, and end with solutions. Two cautions when using open-ended questions. First, watch out for the disguised solution. It sounds something like, well, what if you tried this? That one doesn't count because you just put your idea inside of the question and you force the other person to think like you instead of gaining the value of their unique ideas. You want people to come up with their own ideas in order to encourage diversity of thought and promote others' voices in the conversation. The second caution is my favorite, and it's about why questions, as in questions that start with the word why. Why would I not want to ask a why question? Let's demonstrate this with our best Bob impersonation. Taylor, why didn't your team deliver on time? Do you see my point? Why questions are what your mom asked you when you were in trouble, and no offense to the mamas out there, but you've ruined why questions for the rest of us because they tend to put the other person on the defense. When someone is on the defensive, they aren't thinking clearly, creatively, or critically. Instead, reframe a why question to a what question. It's very simple. You can start with what caused, what happened there, or what's behind that. Here's an open-ended question. What type of question have we not covered yet? If you said, what are closed-ended questions? We love you for two reasons. One, you used a what question, and two, you're right. We've got no beef with closed-ended questions. In fact, we love them when applied in the right circumstances. Back in Season 1, Episode 4, we talked about the open, refined, close model and how it can help outline your meeting. First, you open the conversation for ideas. Then you refine the ideas and get understanding. And finally, you close and come to a decision. Of course, it's not usually so cookie cutter, but we bring this back in the context of closed-ended questions because they're great when you're trying to close a conversation or close the meeting. So if you ever have trouble closing the meeting or ending on time, try this. One of our favorites is called a negative poll, and it goes something like this. Does anyone have any objections to fill in the blank? Notice that we are asking a yes or no question on purpose. We're trying to see if there's any disagreement. Board meetings are often run this way using Robert's rules. All opposed say nay. You could also say, is there anyone that can't live with this? In most cases, this encourages only the people with strong objections to come forward and present their viewpoint instead of everyone continuing to hash through ideas. So when you start asking questions more for the first time, you might feel as awkward as a newborn giraffe. It won't feel right, and it may even fatigue you a bit. This is normal. When you start exercising, you have to keep it up in order to grow muscles, and when you first start out, you're probably going to be pretty sore until you've built a habit. And just like your favorite fitness fad, we've got a challenge for you, meeting makers. In your next low-stakes meeting, try asking questions for the entire thing. No opinions, only questions. And if that's too much, just try asking two questions. 
See what happens and let us know in our Meeting Makers Facebook community. We also encourage collecting questions like rocks, coins, or Beanie Babies, whatever your favorite collectible is. Create a notes page and anytime you hear a question you like, add it to your questions library. Writing questions down will help you remember them better and encourage new neural pathways to form. And because we know you just haven't had enough yet, we want to gift you three questions to a few common situations you may regularly find yourself in. First, if someone is monopolizing the conversation, try making space using who else would like to share their thoughts on this. Second, when you sense silence, try a harvest question. What's on your mind right now? Any ideas or concerns you'd like to discuss? Last, in a chaotic discussion, try a tracking move with a clarifying question. I'm noticing that there's a lot going on and I'm a little confused. Who can help clarify the key things that we're talking about? We hope that while listening to this episode, you heard a few things that you're already doing. If so, awesome. Keep doing those things and pick up a couple extra tips. And if you really want to make an impact on your meetings, share this episode with your team and then join our Meeting Makers community on Facebook to tell us how your meetings are going now that you're all rock stars of these simple verbal tools. In part two, coming up next, we'll get into reading the room and show you a tool that you can use to help balance out group behavior and help get unstuck. In the meantime, keep asking questions, Meeting Makers. What are you doing to make your meetings work? This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. Want help with your next meeting? Reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat. Mm -hmm.